incoming transmission. Radio Rebellion. Welcome everyone to another episode of Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast on this Easter weekend. I thank you guys for taking the time and spending a few minutes with us. This is actually our second video podcast, so we'll see if we have a little better results, a little, a little better luck than we had last time. We had a few glitches, especially at the end, the audio kind of cutting in and out and kind of speeding up in those kind of last two or three minutes. But today we're going with StreamYard, see if this is a better way to start doing this type of podcast. And if it goes well, then maybe next week we can do a live video chat. So I'm gonna want to hear from you guys, see if this is something you, you want me to do, and then hopefully you guys can join us. So yeah, um, I hope you guys are doing fine. It's uh, another week in this craziness that we're we are all living right now. This is actually my second week back at work. Being one of those essential personnel, we are required to be at work. So it's kind of a double edge because on one end, you want to be as safe as possible, try to avoid everyone. And on the second side, I'm grateful to have a job. I know right now that's not the reality for a lot of people out there. So I do feel for them. So if I have this opportunity to still work and get a paycheck, I'm going to do the best of it. While at the same time being safe for myself and to everyone else around us. Um, so what have you guys been doing in this now kind of self-isolation that most of us find ourselves in? Self in, I've been reading a lot of Star Wars books. I did the Rise of Skywalker novelization a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm going into, I've got to figure it out, the Rise of Skywalker art of book by Phil Stosak. This is one of the, if you, if you like art and other things, this is the book. Um, I love the art of books. They're one of my favorites in Star Wars. I just, it helps kind of learn the progression and the uh, the way that kind of the movie was made, all the different ideas that the production team had and how the art department has to start putting all those together to then kind of last minute. No, no, I didn't like that. Let's go back to a new one or start fresh. But there's a lot of cool art in those. So if that's something that you guys like, go ahead, pick it up. It's a, a great read. And before we start, I want to give a quick shout out to Alice, AKA Slayer All Day. She posted, I think it was last week, that she had some free time and she likes doing quick doodles. And then she was asking for people to send her images from Star Wars and she would spend about three or five minutes doing one. I sent her one of General G himself, General Gribbles, and she did a great art that I'm going to be posting soon on my Twitter page if you guys haven't seen it. I might also put it as my kind of Twitter logo for a little bit. So. Props to her, and if she's still doing it, go ahead and give her a shout, quick follow, and send her your Star Wars image for her to do a quick doodle. And if she's done with that, then just leave her alone. So with that said, let's talk Star Wars. No, it didn't happen? I don't know. Maybe I thought some special effects on TIE Fighters and X-Wings, but we don't have the budget just, just So Star Wars news. So, Disney Plus series premiere date. So we kind of started hearing, we knew that Cassie and Ando was coming and the Obi-Wan series was also starting production soon. We know all the rumors, but I think it was a Disney Plus French from France kind of put out a press release saying that the Cassie and Ando series will be debuting next year in 2021 with Obi-Wan in 2022. 
For me, this is great news. I couldn't ask for anything better. A little bit more confirmation that these series are still going on. But some people out there kind of look at us, oh, why do we have to wait two years for Obi-Wan? And for me, we kind of knew that they were going to start shooting anyways early in 2021, I think January 2021. So if it takes them that whole year to get that series ready, then I'm all for it. We have, I don't know what we're complaining. Last year, we had The Rise of Skywalker in December. Right before that, we had season one of The Mandalorian. Um, now we're going through the Clone Wars season seven. We still have four more episodes, so that's another month of it. Uh, then we have maybe three or four months without any kind of TV show or movies, but there, has, there are a lot of books coming out. Uh, the Paul Dameron book, Alphabet Squadron sequel, and of course, The High Republic. And after that, in October, we have Mandalorian season two. Wait a few more months, then we get Cassian Andor 2021, and then Obi-Wan 2022. So I think we're set. We don't need to kind of be too greedy and kind of want everything at the same time, even though I would love to have two series on the same year, same year but we'll see. Uh, one thing I did kind of post on my on the Radio Rebellion Twitter feed was from the Art of Book, again by Phil Stosak. There is a page saying that they've been working on The Mandalorian since 2017. So there's a bunch of series that we know nothing about that are probably already in production or pre-production. So let's just keep our ears open. We kind of, there was some rumors a while back about a new animated series coming out soon. So maybe we, we hear about that. And then that kind of might be between Cassian and Obi-Wan or between season two of Mandalorian and Cassian. Who knows? I think there's a lot more Star Wars out there, out there that we haven't heard of. And of course, the rumors about Soka's own live action series. And we're going to spend a few minutes talking about that. Um, and I always forget forget at the beginning to plug my own my own stuff. So again, follow us on Twitter at Radio Rebel Pod. And of course, if you're watching this video, you know where to find us on YouTube. But if you're listening to the audio podcast only, go to our YouTube page, Radio Rebellion Podcast Short. And you can find it over there. And if you're listening to the video, you can find our podcast on your favorite podcast listening stations. My little logo is, is too far away. Don't worry about it. It's there. Um, so, yeah, Cassian 2021, Obi-Wan 2022. Great. That's great news. So let's keep it up. Star Wars TV. All right. So our, our second news story, it's... More Ahsoka. Ahsoka here, Ahsoka there, Ahsoka everywhere. So I hope you like Ahsoka Tano because it seems that we might be getting a lot more of her in the coming years. So according to the direct, Rosario Dawson has signed a multi-show deal. So what does this mean? We don't know. So again, I want to step back and always be optimistic, but cautiously. So cautiously optimistic that Rosario Dawson will indeed be almost said reprising, uh, will be kind of taking over the role of Ahsoka Tano on The Mandalorian Season 2. This hasn't been confirmed by her, her reps, uh, Star Wars, Lucasfilm, Disney, no one has kind of confirmed this. But a lot of rumors and whispers and things are kind of, kind of agreeing with it. So let's go ahead and say that she will. So if this is the truth, she signed a multi-deal contract that might might mean her own TV show after season two of The Mandalorian. Um, and of course, we have 
Cassian Android series and the Obi-Wan, all kind of fitting in line or fitting in a timeline that Ahsoka might fit in. So, huh, yeah, there's a lot that we can kind of digest out of it. Uh, if we want to say, yeah, just put her on everything, we'll see how it goes. So we have her making her live action debut on Mandalorian season two with possibly either starting right then or right after with her own TV series. Or what makes a little bit more sense is putting her in the Cassian Andor series. We know both of them serve as fulcrum for the rebellion. So it makes sense for her to show up in that show. Although thinking about it, Cassian is not the more the most kind of voice attuned person. He really doesn't believe too much on it. Um, at least that's what I kind of took off from Rogue One when he meets base and Chirrut, he kind of has you see Jedi? Or maybe he's remembering Ahsoka knowing that Jedi are, are out there. So or, so we'll see. So hopefully if this is true, we can get Ahsoka on Cassian Andor series. So that might be a great uh, kind of mashup in there. And also with Obi-Wan, we I think that's a little harder sell. Um, Obi-Wan Again, we all believe he's the only Jedi at this point. It doesn't make too much sense to him to run into another Jedi, but I mean, that's great about all these series. They're always kind of subverting expectations and doing new things. Maybe all the delays and rewrites of the Obi-Wan scripts are related to this, to finding a way to put Ahsoka in them. And then if all these three kind of back-to-back-to-back appearances work, then we get our own Ahsoka series which might be, I think we talked about this a few weeks back, it might be replacing that animated series. And if we get a Ahsoka live action with Sabine in search for Ezra and Thrawn, I think that's the way to go. So hopefully, so we'll see. But again, you have to be careful with these type of reports. We have the same kind of deals for Felicity Jones. After Rogue One, a lot of people thought, how are they going to make another kind of movie based on her character, knowing that spoilers. She doesn't make it. Generation doesn't make it unless it's a prequel. But we see now that we have, do get a prequel with Cassian Andor. And then Alden Enreich also had a multi-picture, multi-appearance kind of deal with solo Star Wars story. And unfortunately, as of right now, there's nothing else going on. Hashtag make solo to happen. So we'll see. So this very similar to what the MCU and Marvel does and Disney kind of sign actors for long-term deals in case their characters kind of pop. And we'll see. Hopefully, if you like the character of Ahsoka, this is great news for you. And if you don't like her too much, then this is a way to get more, a better introduction to her. Maybe you fall in line with everyone else. So again, for me, more Star Wars being TV or whatever is the way to go. So let's see if it happens. And that ends our Star Wars news for right now. So let's go to our Clone Wars review of the latest episode, episode eight, together again. Uh, let me pull this up real quick. So this is the last episode on the Ahsoka arc, as we see her teaming up with the Martez sisters and going on an adventure. Um, so overall, it was a good episode. Not my favorite of the arc, but not my least favorite. Still, last episode was, I want to say, my favorite of the season so far. So it did have a lot to live up to. But it was a solid episode. Um, first, a quick dislike is that at the end of episode seven, Unfinished Business, 
it looked like Ahsoka, Trace, and Rafa were finally on the same page and they had put all their bickering aside. This episode starts right back then with them arguing and disagreeing why they were captured, who decided to dump the spice and all that stuff. So I thought we were past that, but that takes about two or three minutes and we're done with it. And they start to kind of under escape from the Ike's prison. Um, another kind of critique, and uh, not of this episode, but in Star Wars in general, this is when you know you're too invested in Star Wars, or you start focusing on things like this. All starships in Star Wars have radars. They have sonars or whatever. They can figure out when ships are coming out of hyperspace, sensors and things like that. But they never seem to know when a ship is just following them like three car lengths behind. Um, we've seen this in the prequel with Obi-Wan kind of following Slave 1 after on the way to Geonosis, after Django thinks that he's built him up on that asteroid field. No, Slave 1 goes about 15 seconds later, not even like 10 seconds. Jedi Starfighter with Obi-Wan starts following him. Then on the original trilogy, we have the reverse with the Millennium Falcon going away with the trash and then Slave 1 following right behind. We got it in Rise of Skywalker with Ochi's ship when they're leaving Pasana and then the Knights of Ren and the Night Buzzard following them very close by. And then here we see it with their ship, the Silver Angel, and then Bo-Katan and the Mandalorian ship following pretty close by. How can they, I know, do they have a rear view meter? They can just kind of look Starship closer than it appears. Seems there should be a way to know that there's a ship following you so close behind. But again, that's very nitpicky. But again, this Star Wars, it rhymes. So I'm good that it might be a trope that they're kind of playing with. So yeah, whatever. All right, so at the end of the episode, they also didn't notice that big-ass Mandalorian ship just landing on their, on their hangar 10 feet away from where they were, they were speaking. But again, those were the only kind of Critics not really dislike again. It was a pretty solid episode. Suspect out of if you wanted Jedi action, uh, Jedi powers a little bit more movement. I think this episode would have been a good one for you guys if you didn't like the first couple ones in this arc. So thoughts this arc served to show us Ahsoka's kind of state of mind and decision making during conflicts after having left the Jedi Order. Uh, is she going to forget all of her Jedi teachings and values and follow more kind of the path of Rafa and not really trusting anyone or caring about about others? Or is she going to fall more towards Trace's side and see the best in people and others, no matter the situation, which is the way that Ahsoka usually carries herself? So don't just dismiss this, oh, that's just Ahsoka with two new characters. It kind of plays into, hey, this is the first time we've kind of seen her after she left the Jedi Order. And she's still trying to kind of find where she fits now. Uh, she's still conflicted by the Jedi betrayal. And this becomes more evident, especially when the Marquesis so keep bringing up all the Jedi failings around them. And Ahsoka wanted to kind of correct them, but at the same time thinking, no, they might be right in what they're saying. I've experienced some of this firsthand. Uh, so again, we get to see her kind of mental state at that point. Uh, in this episode, we have convincing uh, the Pikes to release Rafa and Trace, so for them to go get the spikes that they drop off somewhere. 
And in exchange, Ahsoka will stay there as a kind of hostage. And if they don't return, she's going to tell them where the Marquesa's family live. But knowing that they have no family, knowing that Ahsoka knows they don't have any family, the Marquesa sisters are not sure about Ahsoka's plan, but they do go along with quick kind of foreshadowing of Trace, sorry, of Rafa kind of saying, I'll never forget this. And you know that's going to come back into play. Which, again, we know they're not just going to leave Ahsoka. They're going to come back and rescue her. But at least it was a surprise for me that it was Rafa Moites and not Trace, the one that kind of originally decides, no, we're going to go back and save her. I do like the reasoning behind her because she won't let, it, let her forget it. And she just wants to up one Ahsoka. So, again, it kind of stays in line with her character, but also shows her growth. And it's not just the obvious... Uh, recently, was Rafa just going to save her and Trace? Sorry, Trace wanted to save her and Rafa kind of. No, no, we're done with that Jedi. Let's just go on with our life. And good, there was the other way around. But of course, before they can do this, they have on some spite a pretty fun sequence of the Mortez sisters kind of encountering some Ben Quadrinero looking type aliens. I don't know the name of them. Well, just some weird, fun looking smooth face aliens, kind of like Ben Quadrinero from the Phantom Menace, that pot racing sequence. Um, and also one of the funniest things to me is seeing Trandoshans working a nine to five job, you're seeing them wearing regular clothes, even with a hard hat, kind of trying to stay out of trouble and not get hurt. It's always fun to see aliens, Star Wars aliens in those regular kind of human clothes. Uh, so we do have that action sequence there. Mortesis, I just flat out killed that alien. They started hitting every, everyone with pipes, so don't slip on them. They'll get you. Um, so there is, after that happens, there's a kind of mouse game between Ahsoka and the pipes back in Obadiah, but she finds, in this sequence, she finds out that Maul is back and he's in the spice game now, which answers one of my questions from last episode, which why, why are the pipes so concerned about this delivery of spice, can they just kill the three of them, get another shipment, just get on with it. But here we find now they're working for Maul. If they don't get, if Maul doesn't get the delivery of spice, he's going to send the Crimson Dawn after them. Love to get that mention of Crimson Dawn again. Make Solo 2 happen, even if it's this part of it, go on. Uh, so yeah, we get our mention of Crimson Dawn, which is always great. I know there's some questions now about why Crimson Dawn and not the Shadow Collective. Again, we're going to start a new arc for new episodes, so we'll see if they bring this up. Uh, how do holograms work? I have that, questions, that question, because you have Maul talking to the Pikes, and somehow he sees or thinks he sees something moving with, the, of course, it's Ahsoka kind of sneaking in, listening to the conversation. but so Maul has his own hologram device for the Pikes to see. I'm guessing they have something for Maul to see them, but he can he's able to see the whole environment. Unless they have a camera in the back and just kind of I don't know. I don't know how holograms work. If you guys know, put in the comments, tweet at me, put in the comments so we get some comments. Tell me, don't be dumb. This is how holograms work. Probably Star Wars. Don't know what we're thinking. Or maybe maybe he just censors. So we have that little game between Maul and Ahsoka coming back. Um, as suspected, Ahsoka had to reveal to the Maul that she was a Jedi. And again, it causes some rift between, between them. 
some conflict at first, but Trace and Rafa um, kind of get out, out of it pretty quickly and at the end assure her that she does behave like they think that Jedi should behave. So that's kind of a notch on Ahsoka's bill that even if she's not a Jedi, an official Jedi of the Jedi Order, she still follows the Jedi teachings of the light. Um, so this episode ends, like I mentioned, with Bo-Katan, um, Orsa Ren and the other mysterious Mandalorian going to the Coruscant underground, landing again somehow right next to them on that platform and no one noticing. And then kind of, hey, Maul's back, we have a common enemy, we have to deal with this, come help us. Uh, Trace and Rafa kind of give us all other blessings, kind of, hey, you helped us, now they need help, so go ahead, this is what you're supposed to do. And they live together and it's going to take us straight to the Siege of Mandalore, which hopefully starts, not hopefully, we know, it's going to start next week with episode nine. Uh, so overall, overall, a good episode, a good arc that makes great use of four episodes to get us to know and get invested in the Martese sisters and in Ahsoka's new role as an ex-Jedi, but still following the path, path of the light side of the Force. Uh, so yeah, what what do you guys think of not just this episode, but the last four, this new Ahsoka arc? Has it kind of lived up to your expectations? We know this is the last season of the Clone Wars. It's a short season, only 12 episodes. Um, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the length. Um, I really love the, the Clone Wars in general. This season has been pretty good. Um, but all good things must come to an end. I don't think that this series should keep going and going because then you get closer and closer to Revenge of the Sith. So eventually these characters have to kind of finish their story, but we also know that they kind of go on their own arc and we've gotten some stories out of it already. All right, so yeah, go in the comments, tell me what you guys like about this arc, this episode and the Clone Wars in general. Okay, Clone Wars out of the way and by that I mean this Clone Wars review let's go to our special topic I don't want to say main topic because last week our main topic was a lot shorter than our Clone Wars review um, and this one we'll see so our special topic of the day is what are the most underrated characters in Star Wars movies so yes movies not the books not the TV series uh, especially main or close to main characters not background background characters or called favorites, no big, no salacious crumb. Those, if we start going by every single character in the books, Clone Wars, Rebels, everything will be here three, day, three days. I gotta do like two years worth of research and I only did like 20 minutes. Uh, but yeah, so some of the most underrated Star Wars characters, at least in my opinion. So some honorable mentions, and just as I said, this is going to be about movie characters. I'm going to break my own rule and start with someone that really didn't pop too much in live-action movies, but should have, and that's Aura Singh. Uh, we learn more about her in the Clone Wars animated series, um, especially in the Boba Fett arcs. But this is a character that had a pretty brief cameo in The Phantom Menace during the pod racing sequence, we see this weird kind of alien character hanging out on this mountainside with her pale skin, red dress, that antenna coming out of her head. It's a great design that kind of led her to them being introduced more in the Clone Wars, again, with Boba Fett and all the bounty hunters. 
Uh, she does get that mention in Solo a Star Wars Story with uh, Lando kind of telling, oh, Becca, you're the one that killed Aura, Aura Singh for me. So she does get that little mention. And as you said, not Beckett, the fall killed her. But I think Aura Singh is a underrated character and probably one of the most underrated characters that hopefully gets her live action debut somehow is Asajj Ventress. She deserves the spotlight of a live action movie or TV show. She has a very rich backstory, having served both the Jedi Order and the Sith and being betrayed by both. Uh, there's a lot of Asajj in the Clone Wars movie and of course the Clone Wars TV shows and then in Dog Disciple. Uh, which I haven't read and gotta get my hands on it. But as such, Ventress is just prime for a live action debut. Again, it's difficult because a lot of her story has been explored already. But if they start adapting novels, maybe Dog Disciple is one they should look at. So, okay, so let's get to it. Most underrated. I will start with someone. Oh, man, the production of this show just keeps going down, down, down. All right, give me one. So yeah, that's it. Radio Rebellion, yay, it fell down. We'll put it back up at, at the end. All right, so like I was saying, most underrated, not this show. This show is going down in ratings. Um, so nominated by Drew Stapp, at Jedi Drew Stapp on Twitter is Mail Organa. So when I posted this out, I had a couple of characters I thought were um, underrated and Mail wasn't one of them. But as soon as Drew mentioned it, I kind of started thinking about it, and he's right. And then somehow, you know how the internet is, a lot of Bello kind of, kind of stories started popping up on my feed, people kind of talking about him. So let's spend a few minutes talking about Bello Organa and why he's an underrated character. Uh, he's mainly known as Leia's adoptive father. Bello is deeply involved in the formation of the rebellion since the very beginning, all the way to when he couldn't physically do it anymore because his planet was destroyed with him in it. <sighs> what a way to go. All right, so I'll cheat a little bit because, uh, again, I said this is going to be about movie characters, but to really know the impact that Bail Organa had on Star Wars and in the, on the Rebellion, you have to explore his appearances on two novels, uh, Queen Shadow and Leia, Princess of Alderaan. So starting with Queen Shadow by E.K. Johnston, um, he originally takes Padme Amidala under his wing when, he, when she starts as a senator, um, tells her how to play the game of politics. Not everyone in politics is what they seem. They're always playing a game. And he kind of starts putting that, planting that seed in her to, hey, keep an eye out. They might ask you to do something, but it's usually because they want something else in return or they have an ulterior motive. And he figures out that Padme uses doubles with her handmaidens. So at this point, I think it's only Qui-Gon and possibly Obi-Wan that know about it. And then uh, Bail Organa does find out. But again, he's, since that very beginning, he's kind of playing this game uh, of politics, knows that something's going on behind the scenes, uh, sees Padme as someone that might be uh, someone that can help her and help him and Mon Mothma, so they start kind of teaching her a little bit, and they're still worried about her because she kind of cares more about what's going on on Naboo and with her people, obviously. But again, when you get into the bigger political realm, you gotta think about the galaxy and democracy in general. 
and they start building this wither, who then, which then kind of leads to the way Pat Mays by the end of Revenge of the Sith. Uh, this is how democracy dies and all that. So yeah, he had a hand in that also. Uh, from here, we jump to Bail Organa's appearance in the prequel trilogy, which is a short one in The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. It's barely in them. It's not too, it's not a lot that he's involved in. But he has a lot more screen time and meaning to those minutes of screen time in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, here, he is there when Obi-Wan and Anakin Skywalker return after rescuing Palpatine. But it's his actions toward the end of the film that kind of solidify him as a main character in the events to come in Star Wars. He's so close to the Jedi Order and to the Jedi High Council that when Order 66 comes down, he's one of the first persons, we think, to go to the Jedi Temple to see what's going on, probably trying to find some other Jedi. And he's horrified by what he finds out. He has all the clone troopers there kind of not letting anyone come in. That we have the Jedi come and try to defend himself and seeing that Jedi, that young Padawan being kind of shot down. And then as he tried to escape, the troopers also shoot at him. And you think at this point he goes, screw this, I'm, I'm not gonna deal with this. I'm going home and grabbing my wife, Brea, which we'll do a little mention later because she does deserve a lot more love. And say, no, Brea, let's get out of here. This democracy is ended, this things are bad. Let's go back to Alderaan and finish our life over there. No, he picks up Yoda, intercepts the transmission from Obi-Wan Kenobi, tells them where to find, find him. And then the three of them go back to Coruscant knowing that the request from the chancellor um, to convene in the Senate is a trap or at least a deception. So he goes over there, he witnesses the fall of democracy and the beginning of the, uh, the rise of the empire, which again, at this point, he could, yeah, that democracy and the thunderous applause. So knowing this, you can say, you know what, I'm gonna try my best, it didn't work. Let's just hightail it out of here. But no, that's not Bale. Uh, he hatches a plan with Yoda and Obi-Wan for when the Jedi Master then couldn't defeat um, Emperor Palpatine. Darth Sidious, what he does? Yoda calls him in probably the first Uber pickup ever. He comes in, picks up Yoda, then again kind of picks picks up Obi-Wan after Mustafar tells him when, doesn't pick him up, tell, tells him where to meet him. Uh, between the two of them and Yoda, they decide to save the Skywalker children and adopt one of them, a baby girl. We've always wanted a baby girl. So a simple senator that without him, Yoda would have probably been found out by the Emperor shock troopers and be killed. Obi-Wan wouldn't have, would have been left without a place to go after Mustafar. Luke and Leia most likely wouldn't have survived or maybe even born. But his story doesn't end there. We have to cheat again and go to another novel, which is Princess of Alderaan. Leia, Princess, Princess of Alderaan by Claudia Gray. Here, after everything that's happened um, in the prequels, like I just mentioned, could have just been another senator just caring about politics, but no. He helped Yoda, he helped Obi-Wan, he helped the Skywalker children. And now he's hatching a plan for the rebellion to kind of rise up against this new empire. So he's having secret rebellion meetings 
these guys as posh parties at his house. All these guys that they think that him and Mont Mon Mothma are having an affair, that Brea, Brea has to then kind of go along with it to not make that deception. He hides this from Tolkien, who comes to visit to one, one of the parties. It's like, you guys are only here drinking, always drunk, what the hell is going on? While at the same time, in this back room, they're hatching the rebellion. He helped build a secret base on Crate. He does his best trying to keep Leia away from it, away from it, knowing again her, his only child. Um, but it's Leia. You know that it's not going to work. She's going to find a way to figure out what's going on. Again, him and Brea raise Leia to be the person that she is and that we all love. And again, Brea is a character that has been touched on touch up here and there in some of those novels that I just mentioned. And she deserves a lot more credit. And if we really want to talk about underrated characters, Brea Organa is one of them. And I hope we can we keep finding more and learning more about her. So yeah, so after Princess of Alderaan, after he kind of him and Brea decides to bring Leia into the fold, tell her what's going on with the rebellion, the secrets of the Empire, everything that they're trying to do, then we push back to the movies into Rogue One. And here him, along with some others, Amino Rados mostly, they push Mon Mothma and the other rebel leaders, leaders, if you can call them leaders. So so it's, again, Bail Organa that makes this call to action to do something. And when they finally decide to do something, it's his friendship with Obi-Wan from all these years past that comes back into play. He needs, and when he needs to deliver the most important message from the rebellion so far, who does he entrust with this? No one of his trusted loyal advisors, not a military leader, but his own daughter. The daughter that a few years before he didn't want involved in the rebellion, tried to keep away so, for so many years, but she's the only one, like he says, that he can trust with his life. So here is Belogana, I think my cap, father of the rebellion, underrated Star Wars character. Bale, we wouldn't be here without you. We wouldn't be here without you. That's the same. All right, so our second underrated character, and it's my pick for underrated character, especially underrated villain, is Crimson Dawn face himself, Dryden Voss. So when we, Star Wars is known for their villains. Everyone loves Star Wars villains. But when they say, hey, let me watch your favorite Star Wars villain. Darth Vader, Emperor Palpatine. Oh, Darth Maul. Jabba the Hutt, that's a good one. We got Boba Fett. All those great. Dryden Voss never gets mentioned, and he's a great character, great Star Wars villain. Expertly played by Paul Bettany, he's charismatic and evil and plays both together so well that it makes for an interesting and dangerous character. Described as the face of Crimson Dawn, he, talking again about lavish parties, he loves to throw lavish parties on his yacht, the first light. And in, in my opinion, they do a better job in showing how the rich and powerful survive in Star Wars than what was shown in Canto Bites. Here on his ship, we have bounty hunters, we have criminals, empire folk, regional governors, all these people hanging out together, eating fancy food, drinking their drinks, all knowing that the, mind, the person behind all this, Dryden Voss, is the one in charge. And yeah, so what happens when Han and Beckett lose the coaxium 
what does Becca say? We can't run, we can't hide from King Song Dong. We gotta go and beg for our lives. So they go back, they grovel at Dryden Boss's feet, praying for him to not kill them. And when they meet in his complimentary, he's mournful about Val losing her life. Kind of, hey, Bacon, I hope you're doing okay. Watch my corruption. You don't have it? Bad news for you. So he switches just like that, uh, ready to kill, no excuses, no sorry, so this won't happen again. No. Oh, can't forget about his wardrobe. He is dressed to the nine. Uh, you can't overlook his style in clothes, in food, in collecting weird memorabilia, I guess. He has that almost complete Mandalorian armor. He has a Sith holocron. Who knew? You can get those anywhere. Sithholocron.com, give me one. No, he has a big one right there in the middle, middle of his office. Uh, he's smart enough to send his top lieutenant in Kira when finally he decides to give Beckett, Han, and Chewie another chance. He's not just going to, yeah, yeah, come back. He, no, let me send Kira with you. Doesn't work out well at the end, but he knew what he was doing. Uh, he's not afraid to get his hands dirty where things go wrong. He showed this with the regional, regional governor and then at the end fighting Han and Kira. Uh, but unfortunately, we won't get to see much more of Dryden Boss, but the performance that we got in Solo elevates him, in my opinion, to a great Star Wars, Star Wars villain and underrated character. Ah, yeah. So one more I wanted to talk about, but I'm really, eh, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to mention Dexter Jester. Jester. He doesn't get a lot of credit. We only talk about him when talking about a little cafe up in Coruscant. But without him, Obi-Wan wouldn't have figured out anything about the clones of Camino and the, the cloners of Camino and the clone army. Actually, he wouldn't even know that Camino was a planet that existed. So Dexter Jexter, another underrated Star Wars character. All right, so that's it for our special look at underrated characters in Star Wars. If there's any other character that I skipped over that you think is underrated, again, Go to the comments, write who and why. Maybe we'll discuss it next time. If not, send me a quick tweet and just put, hey, what about this guy? And then I'll say, yeah, maybe. Okay, so let's go to one of my favorite parts of the show. And this is when you guys come to play and it's Ask the Rebellion. This is where I get your questions and do my best in answering them. And as soon as I finish the broadcast, another answer pops into my head. I say, that was the one. But I'm not going to do it again because the shows are long and I don't have time, unfortunately, to record it twice. Uh, one thing I do want to do is I'm going to amend my answer from last time a smidge. So last week, we got a question from Dave and Leaf at Pisan Parsex asking, if you were stranded on a deserted island for one year, which droid would you kind of want to spend that time with? And I quickly went with R2. And I'm sticking with R2 as my choice. But I think I dismissed C-3PO too quickly. I cannot say, no, nah, I'm going to get, uh, it's going to drive me nuts. And I think that's true. But if you're going to be on an island by yourself, it's only one droid with nothing else to do, you do, want one, you do want one that can give you good stories. And who else to give you a daily story than C-3PO? He has the whole history of Star Wars. How many things is getting that brain of his so he can keep you entertained for a long time? And 
you can say, I know everything about Star Wars. I don't need to hear it again from C-3PO. You're wrong. You are wrong. Never underestimate a droid. There's 10 years of C-3PO's life that we know nothing about. Ooh, excuse me. And that's the time from when little Annie lives with Qui-Gon to 10 years later when he returns to Tatooine in search for his mother. Uh, we don't know what C-3PO has been up to for those 10 years. So maybe, hey, Triple, tell me a story for those 10 years. And maybe it's 10 years of, re of talking to binary moisture evaporators, speaking binary, and maybe it's just that. It's a lot of dirt and sand. On the other hand, he was there when uh, Shmi got taken by the Tusken Raiders. So maybe he has a good story about that, and we can figure out why, oh, Click Lars didn't keep moving over there with that bump of a leg. So again, R2 still, T-Triple will drive me crazy, but it does have good stories. All right, so let's go to our question of the day, which comes from show favorite, fan favorite, I love this guy, at a rural rural fan, farm boy. If you're lucky enough to for him to follow you, he's a great guy, give him my love, your love, he deserves it. What does he ask? I'll do my best to read this in his own way. How do Alberto? A question for you. What's your favorite helmet in the hashtag Star Wars Galaxy? Something Empire? Rebellion? Something other? Oh, rural farm boy, you got me where it hurts. And that is because I love helmets in the Star Wars universe. If I love something in Star Wars more than Jedi or X-Wings and things like that, it is helmets. That's one of my. Every time a new helmet comes out, I try to collect them. I do like let me do something so I'm not. I have a lot of space here and I keep getting squished. All right, so I do have one helmet only, kind of a full wearable helmet because they are a bit expensive. My wife got this to me a few years ago for Christmas. It's my old Dameron helmet. Let me just quick. There we go. I should do that. Rest of the show like this, but then I can't hear myself. So yeah. Oh, all right. We're back. Let me just leave it here. All right. So that's nice. So I always love the original storm stormtrooper designs. That's one of my favorite designs. It's simple. One of the first things that we see in Star Wars, if not the first thing that you remember. And every time there's a little variation to the Stormtrooper helmets, and they're kind of collecting either the pops, the little kind of Black Series mini helmets. I'm gonna be posting that soon on my on the Radio Rebellion Twitter page, all the little helmets that I have. So Stormtrooper design is a great design, iconic, you can't go wrong with that. Of course, if you ask anyone, tell me a helmet that you like, first one to pop up, Darth Vader, that's obvious. Kylo Ren is another iconic helmet, but no, those are not my favorites. Uh, right now, again, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I'm going crazy for the Sith Fleet, the Sith Technician, Sith Fleet Technician helmet. Those angular designs, the color, I love red and black, the way they work together, and that helmet right now is my favorite. It's not my all-time favorite, but right now that's mine. If I can get my hands on something, Related to that helmet, a small one, a big one like this that I can wear. I'm gonna do everything possible to get it. Um, growing up, my favorite helmet was the 
Scout Troopers. Seeing them in Return of the Jedi, that used to be my favorite trooper helmet and armor. And then seeing them again in The Mandalorian kind of brought back all those memories. Um, you can also... Now these are kind of together. It's Boba Fett's helmet. It's a great design. Kind of helped with that character that a lot of people fell in love with. Boba Fett for a long time was my favorite character. A lot of it had to do with the design of it, especially the helmet. Uh, the Mandalorian's helmet right now is a great design also. And you can't sleep on Sabine Wren's kind of graffiti helmet. That's notch. TIE Fighter Pilots, that's another great one. The original ones, especially the First Order Special Forces TIE Fighter. Again, we're going to the black and red color with that red marking. It was really struck off with me when they showed up in the Force Awakens. But weren't the best pilot, but a pretty cool helmet. But if I have to choose, and I tweeted back at Rural Farm, I told him, you, are you doing this to me? This is too hard. Falls back now on the Clone Troopers. Phase 2, for a long time, was my favorite. And I think it was the colors that were brought into it. So we were used to the Phase 1 and the Clone Troopers full white. But when the Phase 2 came in in Revenge of the Sith, we have blue ones, yellow ones, red ones, green ones. Uh, in the Clone Wars TV series, we have all different designs and colors and variations. So that Clone Trooper Phase 2 design was my favorite for a long time, but now for some reason I'm falling back on that phase one with a T visor. It's great. So if I had to pick one, which I didn't want to, but I'll do it just for you, is that Clone Troopers phase one helmet. That's the one. All right. So that does it for another episode of Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. Thanks to everyone that's helping out me here on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, showing their love and appreciation for what we're doing here. Star Wars podcasting is every time we something pops up on Twitter about all the Discord with The Last Jedi and Return of Sky, uh, Rise of Skywalker. Just Put that aside, guys. It's Star Wars. Enjoy what we enjoy. Enjoy what we love. What we don't like, we'll say, hey, I didn't like this part. Move on. Let's focus on what we love about this franchise. And all the creators and podcasters out there that I follow and they follow me, they have the same mentality, and I love what you guys do for this fandom. So thanks. To everyone, again, follow us on Twitter at Radio Rebel Pod and follow my personal account if you want at Tweet by AC. Um, like, comment, subscribe to this channel. And if you're listening to the audio version on the podcast, please review it. And if you guys want, and I think I'm going to try next week, will be a live Radio Rebellion.